Oh, good morning. We're back in Acts, uh, which is where we've been. This is a bit too complex for me, this um, music stand, so my notes, so I'm going to have to look down a little bit because it needs to be reclined. I don't know how to do it. Um, but the whole point of Acts and what we've been doing is to have a look at the early church, what they were doing, uh, what they were about culturally, how they operated, what were their values. And this church now is only a few months old, and so I think that's the best model that we have. It's not to look at other existing churches um, in our land. Some churches are doing really well, other churches not so. But actually to look at the original church back in the book of Acts. To bring you up to speed if you've not been with us or you've missed weeks or whatever. Um, the, the chapter that we're in, we're going to be looking at the end of chapter 5. Um, but the apostles have been teaching at the start of chapter 5. They've been teaching on how everyone in a community should come together and share everything that they have. There's an example of what this looks like, a guy called Barnabas, well he's not called Barnabas, but he's given the name Barnabas, that's his nickname because he's a son of encouragement, and he's a great example of what it looks like, he takes his land and he sells it, gives it to the work of the church, and then you have Ananias and Sapphira, they're like polar opposites, and God strikes them down and makes an example of them, and uh, the community are all in fear and wonder, and yet they continue to grow, so that's the start of chapter 5. Then you see this section where there's kind of signs and wonders. Peter's walking around the Middle East, and his shadow is healing people. I once heard a speaker, I was at a conference, it was a fairly large man, and uh, this rather large fellow said he wished, he wished that he had that gift, because his shadow could heal whole families. <laughs> Which I thought was quite clever. But it's all causing quite a stir. As you can imagine, crowds are gathering together. The sick are being healed. Those who have uh, demons are being delivered. And once again, there's some opposition to what's going on. People don't like it when the name of Jesus is praised. And in this instance, once again, the problem isn't necessarily from the world, but the problem is from what I would call the highly churched or the religious those that have a tradition and a way of doing things. And something new comes along, Jesus comes along, and they don't like it. And that's what we're faced with in this passage. We have apostles and we've got the religious, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. In one sense, I believe we've got Jesus people and we've got church people. Now don't misunderstand me. Coming to church and being part of the church is a fantastic thing. But I don't want to just be someone who goes to church. I don't want you to be someone who just attends on a Sunday. Because that's not what one of our values is. We're not just a drop-in, drop-out centre. But rather it's the whole of our life is given over to Jesus Christ. And what happens is you have people that are living in such a way, the apostles, and you have those that just drop in and drop out. And those that drop in and drop out don't like the challenge of having to give and yield their whole life to something other than themselves. So we have a choice almost this morning when we're reading it. Are we going to be church people or are we going to be Jesus people? Because if we're Jesus people, then actually we're in the most significant movement and lasting movement of all time, which is the church. I want to just read it. If you've got a Bible, it's Acts chapter 5, um, verse 17. I'm just going to read it to you so you've got an idea of the story and what's going on. It says this. The high priest, this is, obviously they're not very happy, okay, so remember the context, this group of people are not happy. The high priest rose up, and all that were with him, and they were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them into the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, 
Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned. And they had them brought, uh, they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, who God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honour by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a bit. And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up, in the days of the census, and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonour for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ, Jesus is the Christ. You see, it's an amazing story, isn't it? The apostles just carry on. Oh, we're gonna, they almost got killed if Gamaliel hadn't stepped in and said, well, if it's a work of God, you're going to be up against God anyway. But look, it could be a work of man, so... Let's just see how it pans out. Well, that movement is still going 2,000 years on, isn't it? And we're a part of it. So obviously God was in it then and is in it now. And the fundamental difference between these people, as I've already said, is that some are what I would call Jesus people and some people church people. For some in that passage, their faith in God is a way of life. And it takes up all their life and energy. But for some of the others, it's just one thing in addition to everything else that they do. And I'll leave it to you to decide which way around that looks. But just to run through the story, I've already read it. The religious aren't happy. In fact, Luke says, the word he uses, he says they're filled with jealousy. They don't look at these Galileans, they don't look at the apostles and go, oh yeah, I wish I was them. I wish that I had been a fisherman and been nothing. No, these guys are highly trained. They're the experts. It's not jealousy in that way, but it's jealousy because 
All of a sudden, it looks like these fishermen, these nobodies, are having all the power and influence in the land. That their power, their influence on what's right, what's wrong, is diminishing. So they throw them into jail. God sends an angel. Some commentators, not ones that I tend to read, reckon that a guard just let them out and didn't say anything about it. Except Luke says an angel came and rescued them. So the Sadducees go to get them and they're not there. I mean, the guards aren't even aware that the men have gone. The doors are still locked. An angel rescues them and sends them to get on with the mission of God. And they go and do precisely what they've been arrested for straight away. Have you seen that? They're thrown in jail because they're teaching and sharing the name of Jesus. And that's what they're told not to do. So when they're released by an angel, guess what they go and do? They go and teach and tell people about the name of Jesus again. And so once again, they get brought back in, hauled before the court, hauled before the high priest, and they're questioned, and you get this great little kind of uh, conversation between Peter and the apostles and the high priest and his, his people. And then eventually they're released, but that's not before they're each beaten 39 times. That have been lashed 39 times each. Anybody, anybody ever had that? For professing Christ as their saviour? I didn't think so. <laughs> pretty hardcore, pretty difficult to do. And they, guess what they go and do? Despite that, guess what they go and do? They carry on. They go and they continue to teach the people. Mainly what I want to look at with the time that I've got this morning is that response from Peter and the apostles when they're questioned um, and what we can learn from this story. Because I, I read Acts chapter 5 and I can't escape the kind of word obedience. Now, in our kind of uh, world, obedience isn't often seen as a positive, but it means to kind of yield all that we are to something. And in this case, it will be to yield all that we are to the cause of Christ. And that's what Acts chapter 5 is teaching us on. It starts with this instruction from the angel. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. You see, the apostles at the moment, or the church, are not called Christians at this point. That's not what they're known as. It's not until Acts chapter 11 that they're labelled as Christians. They're often called, as you read through Acts, some, some people call them members of the way. And this is the one and only instance in the whole of scripture where the angel says, go and talk about this life. I think of all the things, either the angel is confused and doesn't know what to call them, which I don't think is possible since he's a messenger from God, that's what an angel is, or rather he's onto something. And it's important for us to understand what he's trying to say. I think it's significant that those who follow Jesus are told it's to talk about this life. A whole new way of living life. In one sense, incompatible with the old way of doing things. But I think it's more than just our life values. You know, we can all have life values, can't we? How many people on January 1st said, Oh yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat healthy, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to lose weight this year. Come on, let's see a show of hands. Or is it just me? There's a few people. Okay, I've been in that now for, um, how many days into January are we? 11? I'm sure I'll put weight on. I don't think I've touched salad <laughs> or fruit or vegetables. It's pretty bad, isn't it? I've had a Domino's pizza. I mean, it's awful. Um, it's not my fault, incidentally. Uh, my wife, a very young child, has got to take on a lot to be able to give out. So I've got to do the same to support, support and encourage her 
with that valuable work in feeding our son. But the point is, we set out with these kind of, oh, I'm going to improve my life. I've got these great life values. But that's not just what the angel is saying here. I think it's not just a way of life, but I think it's life in the sense of a new power. Something changing, a new possibility, a new chance. The angel's instruction is, go and tell the people these words of life. And what that means, the word life there, if you actually break it down, means go and tell them about salvation. Go and tell them about Jesus. Go and tell them how they can be saved. That's what the angel says. And that's what characterizes the church. People who know they're saved and people that speak of Jesus Christ. That's how he's described, that's how the people are described here in Acts chapter 5. And the implication from these verses, but actually we're told flat out later in the passage, is that when we do that, when we step in and do as instructed, God's spirit is there with us. So that situations that might be challenging, situations that might be intimidating to us, actually when we obey God, when we follow his instruction, he doesn't just leave us out to dry, but actually his spirit goes with him. And actually the important thing that we read there is that we obey him. So I just want to look at uh, the conversation that gets them into hot water a little bit with the religious types and just kind of draw around a couple of things. And okay, it's great saying we're to be obedient and we're to follow after Jesus, but if obedience is speaking about him and sharing the truth of him, how do I do that? And I think this passage kind of draws it out for us. Verse 27 onwards, when they brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in his name. Yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. It's a fantastic line from Peter, isn't it? Just undercuts them completely. We must obey God rather than men. Obedience and yielding our life to God is a choice that we all have, isn't it? I had a choice as to whether I would eat healthily or not. We have a choice as to whether we're going to yield to God or not. And in this instance, they are, uh, in one sense, being disobedient to the authorities, yet obedient to God. That's the choice that they have. And increasingly, I think we're going to find, in the culture and the world that we live in, there's going to be more and more oppression of what Christians can and cannot say, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's at home, whether it's at school. And we have a choice to make in those moments. Whether we're obedient to man or obedient to God. Now the Bible teaches us that we respect and obey and love and pray for our leaders. But we're not to obey them if what they're asking us to do is in sharp contrast to what God asks us to do. If God asks us to take his word to people. If God asks us to take the word of Jesus to people. And the government and the people say we cannot do that. Then who are we going to follow? That's the choice that the apostles have. In this instance. And the choice I think in our nation that we're going to have to face in 10, 20 years time. Maybe even sooner than that. I don't know. But certainly in my lifetime. Do we follow Jesus with everything that we have? Or do we almost bail upon him? Do we take instruction from humanity? You see we don't know who's going to rise up and have a popular Christianity. But people will. We know it's going to come from somewhere at some point. And I want you to see, and I think this is really important, the apostles are challenged by this group of people who are having a bit of a pop at them, but they don't defend themselves. I think that's really interesting. Isn't our default if someone criticises us or someone says don't do something is to defend ourselves? Is to justify ourselves? 
is to say, well, no, I'm right, I'm not going to listen to you. And we go into combative mode. And we get all defensive. And our prickles are up. Or if we, you know, like I found this week, I was gardening, just going through, uh, had a spade, sharp edge spade, straight into the ground. And uh, just missed a hedgehog. Just missed a hedgehog. A little, little story there for you. In his hibernation, all curled up. And I thought he was dead, but it was slowly... And I could have just taken his head off with the spade. I was that close. But, and as soon as we picked him up, it was like... And I thought, I'm glad I'm wearing gloves. But that's what we're like, isn't it? We get defensive. We go into murder. We can curl up into a ball and say, no, you can't touch me, you can't change me. And we don't actually end up engaging with people at all. I just find it interesting that they don't defend themselves. When we get stick, that's what we tend to do. When we're challenged, do we spend too much time defending ourselves that we miss actually sharing Jesus? We're so busy saying, oh, well, it's me, and oh, you don't like me, and oh, uh, blah, 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 that we don't exalt Jesus' name. I think that's the danger of what can happen. It's not what the apostles do, but I think that's what happens with us. We can spend too much time saying, well, I want to be popular, or worrying about what people might think, and so we don't lift up Jesus in those situations. I'll give you an example. I was, uh, back at my university days, I was sat in a room just like this, actually, tiered seating. Uh, it was very nice, I think blue chairs, not purple ones. But a similar meeting, and I'm sat wherever I'm sat, and I, I sense God telling me to take this scripture, or this picture, or this verse, to this lady who sat down near the front, which would involve me doing the walk of shame in the middle of worship. Not cool. And I know God's speaking to me because my heart is racing. I just know that this is something that I have to do. And yet I'm thinking, well, everyone will be looking at me. What happens if I get it wrong? What happens if people judge me? What will people think? What will man think? You know, I cared about myself, my reputation, and not the reputation of God. I was so defensive about myself that I didn't exalt Jesus in that situation. So I didn't do it, to my shame. I just kept it to myself. And you know, I went to speak to this lady after the service. Just to, I mean, I, I was kind of thinking, oh, maybe I can share it now. But it, it, it was the right moment in the context of worship. And I didn't do it. And this lady just came out with, oh, this, this person came up to me and gave me this verse and this encouragement. And it was the exact same thing that I was meant to say to this lady. That someone else had gone and brought to her. Now I thought about that and I thought, well, okay, God doesn't need me. But God wants me. And God wants to use you, and God wants to use me. But further than that, I didn't know that on this occasion, God would use somebody else to speak to this person. Can I afford to take that chance? That's the question that we've got to ask ourselves. Can I afford to take the chance that presumes somebody else will share Jesus with someone? I don't think we can afford to. Because at present, however many people in our town are headed the wrong way. And if every one of us like me is bailing for fear of our reputation, then who's going to step in? That person, I don't know what impact it had long term on them, but certainly it encouraged them in that moment and built them up. We have to take every opportunity that God gives us to share Jesus with people. So we need to, I think we need to spend a little less time being defensive and more time just exalting and praising. A little bit like we did this morning. And so there's that kind of question, okay, that's great, but what does it look like? It's all well and good saying, take your opportunities, share Jesus with people. 
But it's not that easy, is it, in the workplace? It's not that easy um, with your friends or your neighbours. But I want to just look at this. Verse 29, Peter says we must obey God rather than men. And then in verse 32, he says we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. You see, obedience brackets, it starts and it ends this conversation that Peter has with these high priests. And whenever that happens in scripture, whenever you've got kind of something bracketed, it's a kind of sure sign that actually the lesson or the thing that we can learn is in the middle. Jesus does it all the time in his stories to make a point. And I think that's what Luke's doing here. He's bracketed it so that we know actually this, these three things that Peter says are a key for us in how we can live obedient lives, or a key for us in how we can share Jesus with people. Look at how Peter does it. Verse 30, he says, Jesus died and he rose again. Verse 31, he says, Jesus is now with God the Father, and he did it all so that we can be forgiven. And then verse 32, he says, we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Spirit. In other words, he says, the result should be a changed life, look at me. The Holy Spirit is going to testify to the fact that I'm no longer that fisherman that was afraid. Have a look, test it. That's fine. So the first one is this. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. You might think that's a bit strong. But I want you to read through the whole of Acts. The whole of Acts is really strong. And in our kind of society that when we're really like PC... I mean, I reckon they had the kind of politically correct things to say back then too. But it didn't really bother them. He says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Now, I'm not suggesting work tomorrow morning, you just go up to your mate and say, you killed Jesus hanging on a tree. The God of our fathers. I'm pretty sure if you do that, it's not going to work. And they might just get angry with you. But it's more the principle behind what Peter is saying as opposed to the way that he says it. Because I think sometimes, for me anyways, I just go around in circles with people. I've got this one friend that I've known since I was a, a, well, actually since I was four years old. And we just go around in circles. Oh, well, this happened and it was creation. Or what about Joshua? And what about this? What about that? What about Revelation? What about that horse? It's like, we just go around in circles of nonsense. It doesn't get him anywhere, actually. Sometimes we just got to cut to the chase. I want to say this, if we're having lots of conversations with people and we've got the opportunities to share our faith... Don't start with creation. Don't start with debates on Genesis and evolution and the Big Bang Theory. Just talk about Jesus. It's exactly what Peter does. He doesn't hang about. He doesn't mess about. He gets straight in there and gets talking about his saviour. And it's the message. It's not just Jesus as a nice guy and saying, oh, he was a great guy who lived 2,000 years ago. It's Jesus died, Jesus rose again. That's his opening gambit. That's what he starts with. He's straight to the point. And it's the message of the cross, and that's what people need to hear. That we're sinful, yet Jesus has died and taken our place. And that's the beginning of living an obedient life. It's not just proclaiming Jesus, it's proclaiming his death and resurrection, specifically. It's not just saying, oh, Jesus is a nice guy, I like him. It's saying, Jesus died for me and he rose again for me. That's the beginning of an obedient life, because that's what Peter says, and it's bracketed by obedience. That's what it looks like to be obedient, to speak of Jesus, is to speak of his death and his resurrection, specifically. But it doesn't stop there, fortunately. Peter continues, God exalted him at the right hand as leader and saviour, to give repentance to Israel, forgiveness of sins. The fuller story, and the good news for you and me, is that Jesus is now reigning on high. As we kind of praise this morning, blessed be your name, 
And we sang of Christ alone, cornerstone. He's reigning, alive, at the right hand of the Father now, as a leader and saviour for all that trust in him. That's what Peter says. He's there as leader and saviour so that he can bring repentance, so that he can bring forgiveness of sins, so that those who are far off can be brought near. He offers you forgiveness this morning. And that's the message that we take to people, the offering of forgiveness, the love of God. It's not the standing on a, on a street corner saying, you're going to burn in hell. That doesn't work either, I don't think. Well, it might work for one in a hundred thousand people. But I tell you what breaks people's hearts is the love of God. That there is a God who loves them despite their faults, despite their failures. Because we don't get it right all the time. And yet he forgives us as our leader and our saviour. Hell is off the cards for those that trust in Jesus. That's the message that we take. It's off the cards. And instead heaven awaits. That's good news, isn't it? That's a good opportunity for a bit of engagement and like a, you know, like a woohoo or a, yeah, that's great news. That's good news, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, man. Woohoo! <laughs> there we go! I don't know if I can do that without lemsip. <coughs> oh, dear. It's great. That's what we're to take, is Jesus rose, Jesus died, he rose again, he's reigning on high. I tell you why, so that you can be forgiven, so that you can have a new life, so that you can have a fresh start. Third point he makes is this, we're witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, and God has given to those who obey him. Sure, Peter and the apostles had first-hand experience. They saw Jesus in the flesh, didn't they? They walked with him, they talked with him. But surely, surely if you're a Christian here this morning, you can say with confidence that we're witnesses to the reality of points one and two. Witnesses to the reality that Jesus died and rose again. To the reality that he reigns on high. Because if you're a Christian, if you've been forgiven, you'll have a changed heart. You'll have a changed life. If you were once proud, you'll be less so. If you were once angry and antagonistic, you might be more peaceful. There's the fruit and outworking of the Spirit of God working in our hearts. How does that come about? I think it comes about through being in the presence of God. And I think the presence of God and meeting with God comes through our obedience. That's actually what Peter says here in one sense. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The Spirit of God is there for those who proclaim Christ. That the Spirit of God is there for those who are saved. That we're not alone, actually, but God's Spirit is with us. What Peter is getting at here, and what Luke is getting at throughout the whole of Acts, is this. When we talk about Jesus, when we share Jesus with people, no matter how intimidating, no matter how scary, if we go through points one, two, and three with them, when we do that, I want to say in a very technical term, like Carl did last week, stuff happens. And what I mean by stuff is the atmosphere changes. God shows up. Time and again, that's my experience. Some of my most profound meetings and being in the presence of God are, are times where I'm proclaiming the gospel. And I don't just mean at the front of church with a microphone. I mean in my conversations with people. When you just can't stop talking about Jesus, some of the most profound, intimate moments that I've had with him. When you just experience and know the presence of God. 
And we know from Acts, and uh, I pray that we'll know from our experience going forward, that when the gospel is preached, the signs and wonders follow. That the manifestation of the work of the Spirit accompanies the proclaiming of the gospel. It's not independent of. You know these things where we have, oh, the signs and wonders going on, but no one ever speaks of Jesus. No one ever speaks of new life. I'm not interested in that. We want to be a church where we're proclaiming the name of Jesus. And because we're doing that, because we're stepping out in obedience, the Spirit of God is pleased to dwell amongst us. Pleased to dwell amongst us and the sick will be healed. And those that are demon-possessed will be delivered. Yes, that happens today. In our town, there will be people who the enemy has a hold on with addictions and all sorts of things. That every chain can be broken in and through the name of Jesus. And it's when the gospel is proclaimed. Maybe you're sat here going, I'm really keen for that. That sounds really exciting. I want to experience God's presence. I want to meet with him. I want to see amazing things. But it's not been my experience. I've been to church all my life and I've never seen it. My question is, are you telling people about Jesus? Because when you're telling people about Jesus, stuff happens. The atmosphere changes. And we see a change in the lives of those that we are witnessing to. Start to pray for opportunities. I don't know if you do that. Maybe you've never thought of doing that. Saying, God, would you give me the opportunity today to speak to someone about you? I'll just share a quick story with you because I know that time's pressing on. But um, when I was uh, 17 and 18, I wasn't really the model student. I know that's hard to believe. Uh, I was great at GCSEs and then it got to my A-levels. And during your A-levels, people have done this recently know that basically the kind of teachers don't help you so much. And you've got to do like a lot of independent study. Well, I did a lot of independent computer gaming. <laughs> and not so much independent study. <laughs> to the point where I would take days off at a time, just not turn up to college. Um, just because I'm at home playing a computer game, wasting my life. Um, that's true. Um, I mean, the story that I tell people is that I didn't get my A-level grades because I had food poisoning. That's also true. Um, but it's mainly because I was playing computer games. <laughs> I didn't do any revision. But one of these days, I've been challenged on a Sunday. Uh, I didn't go to college, which was stupid. But I prayed that morning, God, would you give me... I thought it was a surefire, I'll test the water here. I'm not going to college, but I'll pray, God, would you give me someone to speak to today about you? I knew I wasn't going to see anybody. Nobody comes to my house. I was just going to stay in my pyjamas all day. And there's a knock on the door, middle of the morning. And they don't do this in the St. Arns. So if you don't like Jehovah's Witnesses, go there. They don't do the whole door knocking thing. In my whole lifetime, they've never been round. And yet this one day, this chap turned up. The day that I prayed and asked, God, would you give me the opportunity to speak to someone about you? Guess who turns up at my door? Oh, yes, a prime candidate. A Jehovah's Witness. Fantastic. And actually, he wouldn't come into my house. No, he didn't want a conversation, really. But started talking to him, and he's trying to throw this, all this stuff at me, and watchtower and all that business, and just start engaging him. And I had the opportunity to tell him about Jesus. Unfortunately, I didn't have this kind of, oh, I'll speak about Jesus' death and resurrection. I probably made the mistake of going around in circles and talking about the less important things in one sense. When I should have been, you know, Jesus has died and he's risen again for you. But I want you to think, okay, if you're not, you've not had the opportunities, you think, well, I would love to meet with God. I would love to experience his presence. Start praying for opportunities. I'm pretty sure that's a prayer that God will honour. 
that you'll have the opportunity to share his worth with other people. You see, that's what being on mission is about. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit on Wednesday. That the driving heart of our vision here at the church is to do mission. We don't just exist for the sake of it. But I want to see your friends, your neighbours, people in the town of Chesterfield, come to faith in Jesus. Otherwise we're just wasting our time, aren't we? Right? Or is it just me that thinks that? Pretty sure Carl thinks that too. That's what it's all about. Sharing the worth of Jesus with people that don't know so that we can see evidence of his grace. Fantastic. We've got a baptism service. Isn't that fantastic news? That people are saying, yes, I'm with Jesus. And I want to see more of that. I'm going to be baptising people every week eventually. Wouldn't that be great? My voice went really high. <laughs> every single Sunday. People saying, yes, I've died to self and I want to live for Jesus. I want to be obedient to the call that he's got upon my life. You see, that's what a mission looks like. A missionary, we have this misconception, a missionary is not just someone in a far off land. You are missionaries. I am a missionary. We take the worth of Jesus to this world, to people that don't yet know him. That means you're on mission. That means you're doing his work. And I want to say this, on paper this all sounds fine. But I know it's not easy. Even at work now, I'm uh, doing a bit of gardening with one fellow, and we've had a couple of chats. But it's, you come up against resistance, you come up against uh, things that are deep in people's hearts. Which is why we have to get to Jesus. Which is why we have to get to the one that can change and transform hearts. Can take people from death to life. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get scarred. You're going to take knocks. Maybe one day you might be lashed 39 times. It's probably not likely. You're more likely to get a punch on the arm and maybe bullied a little bit. But is it not worth it to share the worth of Jesus Christ? This is what happened for the apostles after being lashed 39 times each. I can't even bear to think of that. When they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, look at this word, rejoicing. They've just been lashed 39 times. They leave rejoicing. This is why it almost makes me cry, so please forgive me if I do. That they were counted worthy to suffer dishonour for the name of Jesus. That they were counted worthy to suffer for them. And they were rejoicing in the fact that they could take a hit for Jesus. We're in good company, aren't we? Jesus was crucified for sharing his message of love with people. The apostles, pretty much every single one of them, was executed. Today, thousands of people are giving up their lives for the sake of the gospel. We're in good company. It's not an excuse not to do it. In fact, it's almost a motivation for that despite that, we can rejoice and we can say, wouldn't I love it to say, that you could come and say, I'm rejoicing that I'm kind of worthy to suffer dishonour, that I can honour the name of Jesus. That my reputation can be left in tarnish and destroyed so that I can build the reputation of Jesus. Being obedient is really costly. But we have one shot in this life. That's all. To speak the words of this life and to live it out for people to see. 
to be obedient, to yield our life. I think obedience means this, to share the good news with people. And when we do, I guarantee you, God will show. That's what he loves to do. His spirit goes with those who share the gospel. His spirit goes with those who proclaim the word for Jesus. And signs and wonders will accompany it. And it will bring life to people. So I want to say this morning, I want to encourage you, don't ever stop. Go from here this morning motivated, encouraged, built up to say, yes, I can do this. And you know what, even if I take a hit, I'll carry on doing it. Trust me, 2014 was a difficult year for me and my family. We took hits from the religious. But not in the same way that the apostles did. Not to the same level that the apostles did. And I tell you this, if some people come to Christ because of that, it's worth it. That has to be our attitude. If some people come to faith for us taking hits for Jesus, it's worth it, isn't it? Every single time. So don't ever stop. And we can rejoice because we're counted worthy to suffer dishonour for the name of Jesus. So that he can be honoured. I want to just pray for you all. Actually, I think we're going to sing. But as we do sing, there might be some of you this morning that are afraid or fearful, or you're actually in the midst of these kind of conversations now. And there's nothing super special about it, but we'd just love to pray for you, to encourage you and say, yeah, we just bless you, we want to encourage you. And uh, we'll go off to the side, like over here maybe, so you're not right out the front. And me and Carl, and maybe a couple of us will be down there if you want to come and just be prayed for. There won't be any kind of magic potions or magic sayings, but we'll just be asking God to come. That as you share these things, that you would be aware of his presence, that the Holy Spirit would turn up, that you would see breakthrough in the lives of your friends and your family. And actually I get a sense as well, that maybe you're here this morning and you're in that category where I've just done the one, two, three to you for the first time. In one sense. For the first time you've gone, oh Jesus died for me and rose again. And I can be forgiven. And you've not heard that before. You have heard that before. But for once it's kind of got you. And actually there's no better time than this morning to give your life to Jesus as well. So if that's you as well, we'd love to pray for you. Let me just pray for you all. And uh, as we do, the musicians are going to come out. And I think it'd be good to kind of just sing together, praise God, just lift his name. As a response to this. Because we're told to rejoice. So I think we should just do just that this morning. Have a smile on our face, despite what it might cost us. Let me pray. Lord, we just thank you that you came for us. That as Peter says, you died, but you rose again. So that there can be repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And Lord, we just want to say this morning, we repent. We come before you and we ask for your forgiveness. We acknowledge that you're on high. And we pray you change our lives. We just want to invite you, Holy Spirit, to come now. To fill our hearts. To change the atmosphere. To show up. That we might experience being in your presence. That we might be empowered by your spirit to do your work. We're so reliant upon you. So we just ask you to come. And as we worship you. As we praise you. I pray, God, that you would just speak to us. That if there are those here this morning who want to say, yeah, that's me. I want to, I'm in these conversations with people and I just want to be encouraged. I just want to be blessed. I just want to know more of your presence. That God, you just be speaking to them now. And Lord, we'd be prepared as a people that we'd be a people that rejoice because we're counted worthy. 
to suffer dishonour for the name of Jesus. Help us to stay true to that for your sake.